Well, this morning we're going to continue our study that we began last week on the perseverance of the saints. We began looking at paragraph number one, and we're going to look at the second half of the paragraph this morning. Uh, we'll also be looking at 1 Peter chapter number one, verses three through five. Kind of take that for our text this morning as we begin. But by way of a review, you'll remember last week as we began looking at this particular paragraph, we dealt with the first two truths that are in our outline this morning, that perseverance only applies to true believers. And uh, we looked at that particular concept that how the perseverance of the saints is only promised to those who are truly in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, the perseverance of the saints means that all the elect will finally and eternally be saved. And we learned that we are kept by the mighty power of God. We also briefly looked at John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, which indicates that all that belong to Christ, referred to as the sheep, have been given to Christ by the Father. Uh, that indicates that there will be uh, a promise that they will never perish, his sheep will never perish spiritually, and that no one or no thing is able to pluck the sheep out of God's hands. Our security as sheep this morning is bound up in the power of the divine shepherd and is even bound up in the faithfulness of the great shepherd. And again, we looked at John 17 too, where Christ uh, prays that high priestly prayer and demonstrates that he has authority not just to make possible eternal life, but he's been granted the authority to actually give eternal life to all that the Father has given to him. These are certainly great truths to be reminded of this morning. Primarily, we're going to deal with these last two thoughts today. And the first one, the confession states, the elect are kept and nourished in faith and the graces of the Holy Spirit. So if you would, look with me now at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's begin in verse 3, and we'll read through verse 5. The Apostle Peter, writing here, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The wording here in the confession is extremely important because it tells us that the elect, and you'll see in, your, in the paragraph there, are kept and nourished in faith and also that they grace by the graces of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is always going to be some recognizable evidence that a person is indeed saved and is indeed a child of God. Uh, there is always going to be some degree of what we would refer to as genuine faith. Uh, this idea that uh, we, we think that the perseverance of the saints means that once a person makes uh, just merely a profession of faith, they say that they're saved, they say they're this, and that they can still at that point live as if they're still an unbeliever, they're still in their sin. Uh, that is not what perseverance of the saints means. Uh, they should not be under the false impression that to make a profession of faith and then to live as if nothing has changed and that heaven would still await them would be the epitome of foolishness. Uh, that person, that individual that has truly uh, been converted, been saved, uh, been redeemed by the blood of Christ will demonstrate evidence 
of this saving faith and perseverance, of course, would also be promised. As Peter was writing this, you'll notice that he uh, gives all the praise and the glory to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that this was given or demonstrated by abundant mercy. Uh, says that he hath begotten us or born us again, terrible English, but he's born us again unto a lively hope. And we have a real hope today, not a wishful type of thinking, but we have a solid, firm hope that will persevere to the end. Uh, we don't have a hope that is temporary. We don't have a hope that is something that we are just looking at and thinking, I, I think it's all going to work out, but I'm not sure. Uh, we have a living hope, a lively hope, and it is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that without the resurrection, there would be no hope today. Uh, had Christ gone to that cross, died on the cross, his body had been removed, put in that borrowed tomb, and then never rose again from the grave, we could not claim a living, lively hope today because it is by the resurrection that demonstrates that God the Father was indeed perfectly satisfied by the atoning work of Christ. And as a result, we see that because of the resurrection of Christ, we know that there is an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, something that cannot be uh, corrupted, it cannot be destroyed, it cannot be diminished, it cannot be spotted, it is undefiled, and it fades not away. What a glorious truth that is. Reserved in heaven, it's already there for you. Remember, Peter was not writing to everyone universally. He was writing to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a reserve for you. There is a reservation there for you in heaven that is based upon the next phrase, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we know that Peter was writing to believers, people who had a living hope. They had an evidence of genuine faith. They could take comfort and take heart in knowing that they, in fact, were going to experience the perseverance that is promised through God. Now, someone today who just simply says, well, I made my profession of faith. I was sincere about my profession. I know that God now says in his word, I can live like I want, do what I want, say what I want, because God has to save me. Uh, that is not the talk of a believer. That's the talk of an unbeliever, no matter what or strong their profession may be. Uh, it is clear, it may sound harsh, but a person who simply has a profession of faith without any sort of evidence of that faith is not on their way to heaven. That is not an easy thing to say. We do not say that with any sort of pride or gloating or boasting. We simply say that is scriptural. Uh, there is going to be evidence of this saving faith. We also know that there is a faith that can appear to be genuine, uh, but it is not. Uh, there are those who appear to have genuine faith. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, in verse number 18, the uh, Apostle John was writing about this principle or this concept of the last times, and that in the last times, the spirit of Antichrist will come. And we realize scripturally there talks about this Antichrist, but John writes repeatedly about the spirit of Antichrist, those that would come and would be deniers of Christ Jesus. And he writes in 
verse 18 of 1 John 2, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There's a lot of uh, solid Bible truth here, uh, especially with regard that he says, we know we're in the last times. We know we're dealing with this time when there are those who go out from us. And it clearly determines and declares that they were never one of us that went out from us. And he said, if they had been of us, then they would have stayed. But look what he says. He says, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. It would reveal that they were not in the faith. They were not of the Father and certainly not born by the Son. Uh, Those who depart from the faith show that they were never truly believers in the first place. They were never truly united with Christ in the first place. Uh, You cannot be in Christ and deny him. Let me say that again. You cannot be in Christ and deny him. Uh, You cannot say, I believe in God, but I do not believe in Christ. I don't believe Christ is the only way of salvation. To even declare that Christ is not the only way, he's one of many ways, is to deny Christ. And yet, we have in our modern day Christianity decided that wording is too difficult. We've decided that wording is just too harsh. But yet that is the truth of what God's word is saying. So the confession writers were very clear in how they wrote this, uh, that there is this, uh, the elect or the believer is being kept and nourished in the faith. They are going to continue to grow. They are going to continue to be strengthened. Uh, This is not just a perseverance that is based upon hang on until we get to the end. Hold on tight and just try to endure until the end. That's not perseverance. A lot of people have the idea that perseverance is hanging on to the edge of a cliff and just saying, I've got to hang on until Jesus comes again. Now, this perseverance is you are being kept by the power of God and you are being nourished in the faith. Uh, to To be given what is needful. Uh, That's the idea of what 1 Peter 4 and 5 was speaking about. Now, we also know that in addition to number three there, number four, the confession also acknowledges that the faith of believers can, and I think I could probably even add this, can and will be attacked. Uh, It would be utter foolishness to think that you can live for Christ in this world and not have your faith attacked. Uh, Oftentimes, we live in this world and act as if we're shocked that the world is running contrary to the way we're going. Uh, That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, We act shocked that our family members are disowning us. We act shocked when friends who used to be so dear and near to us suddenly no longer want anything to do with us. Uh, These are not shocking truths. Uh, and we've, we've actually seen it. I've heard it personally, uh, where people have been, their faith has been attacked by their own family. Uh, we, we think about this for a moment. We, we, we think about the stranger attacking us. We think about the, the false 
person attacking us, but we don't think about our faith being attacked by our own families. Yet we know scripturally that even Jesus himself spoke about how it would pit brother versus brother and that there would be this very real lack of peace. Uh, the Apostle Paul made mention of this attack that comes uh, from within and from without in the familiar passage in Ephesians chapter number 6. If you'd like to turn over there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. This is where he's talking about the armor of the Lord, the armor of God. And, of course, uh, he's dealing primarily with the attack that is coming from the spiritual realm. But he does make this statement. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He does use the terminology above all, uh, to take it above everything else, that you might be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, there, of course, is some word illustrations going on here. There's a word picture being given. Uh, we're not actually going to see a fiery dart per se, uh, but it is this attack on our faith. And because this attack is there, it is possible for true believers to fall into sin as the result of our faith being attacked. Uh, sometimes we're hesitant to draw this connection, uh, but it is possible for your faith to be so utterly attacked that it may lead you to fall into a period of sin. Uh, Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians chapter 5, and again, one of these familiar passages, I think, to many of us. He says in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before. As I told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we get that. We understand that Paul is talking about a very, uh, a very different type of lifestyle that was being led and primarily talking about the life that was lived in the flesh. Which leads us to chapter 6 in Galatians, where he clearly makes a statement about a person being overtaken. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, be careful in gloating and glorying. I hope this is never the case with a brother or sister who is overtaken in a fault. He says, consider yourselves, because if it happened to them, it can surely happen to you. Uh, there are many people who've said many, many times, I would never do what that person has done. And those nevers often come back to bite them because they fall into a similar fault. And that's where it leads into the bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Uh, there is a deception when our faith is under attack. Again, perseverance of the saints does not mean that we do not have to strive and we do not have to fight. Uh, we are not robots of the Lord. 
Uh, we don't just sit there and they say, the Lord will always fight my battles. I'll just sit here and do nothing. That's not perseverance. Uh, we'll see in just a moment that this is part of our responsibility. But we do understand that there is this time when our faith can be attacked, where we will fall into sin. And secondly, maybe even more prevalent or more noticeable to people is that the attack of our faith can also lead to times of a loss of assurance. Uh, There are times when we can doubt, still be in faith, still be a child of God, and yet doubt our salvation. Uh, You and I are not above this. Uh, It is is, uh, not un... It's not impossible for a person to stand up one Sunday morning and say, uh, I have full assurance of my salvation, and then be under such attack and such such, uh, just an attack from all angles, from all directions, to find yourself saying at some point, I'm sure, I'm not sure I'm even saved. Uh, David experienced some of this in that repentance psalm of psalm 51 and we're not going to read the whole thing but he does say in verse number 12 of that psalm restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit Uh, david was asking for a restoration of what he once had restore unto me the joy Uh, the joy of notice he doesn't say my salvation he says the joy of thy salvation a very very key uh, distinct word that he uses. Uh, He realizes that there were times when David certainly uh, was lacking some assurance as well. Yet we have the promise that if we do fall into sin and we do fall into a time of loss of assurance, we do know that the Bible teaches that we can be renewed again through repentance. Repentance revives our faith, folks. Uh, When you're struggling with assurance, I know this is difficult. When you're struggling with assurance, uh, ask the Lord to examine your heart and see if there be any wicked way in you. Or acknowledge the sin that's already there. Sometimes our assurance is the result of our faith being attacked. And as our faith is being attacked, uh, we fall into sin. And that sin is what is leading us to lack assurance. Uh, It's one of those difficult truths we have to come face to face with and deal with. So there is this attacking of the faith. Now, there is also in Scripture, there is a warning against apostasy. Uh, Now, apostasy, of course, is a complete and total falling away uh, from the things of God. It is something that is not a person who was once in the faith who now is turned away from the faith and lost their salvation. An apostate was never in Christ to begin with. An apostate is one who is turned away from the things of God, has declared they want nothing to do with it, but yet we see so many passages where God is warning us against apostasy. Now, in a sense, he's not warning us about falling out of the faith, but he's using these passages to remind us of our perseverance in the faith. They're more reminder verses. They're not warnings that you might lose it, but rather that they encourage our perseverance. Uh, We know that there's a couple of those examples, primarily in the book of Hebrews, we see three different times when this idea of apostasy is mentioned. Uh, Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. 
The writer says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Remember, as we were preaching through uh, the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings, uh, we dealt with the danger of unbelief uh, to, to not even be a believer. And again, that's not an apostasy. That is the idea to worry about uh, the, uh, the uh, call to don't be convinced to stand or to stay in your unbelief. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Again, these are passages to remind us of the reality of the perseverance that is there. And then Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 8. Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 8. This is probably the more familiar of the passages, ones that are most recognized. Hebrews 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So these verses are indicating their warnings to the unbeliever, certainly, but they're also given uh, by God uh, to use as means of being kept as one of his. Now, we know that it is God's grace that is our assurance. It's God's grace that gives us the promises of our perseverance, but again, by way of application, that does not negate our responsibility to strive to persevere. Uh, we should be doing everything we possibly humanly can to stand firm in our faith. We should be doing everything we can to protect and to guard against times of sin. We should be doing everything we can uh, to be built up in our most heavenly faith. Uh, Jude 21 uh, makes mention and begin in verse 20. He says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This is an exhortation, of course, to be constantly seeking to not only know, but to live the truth to know and to live the truth. You know, one of the great accusations made against churches like ours is that you are those folks who believe that you just get saved and then God has to do everything else. Not only saves you, but then you get to sit there and do absolutely nothing. And nothing can be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, if we truly understand the doctrines of grace, especially the perseverance of the faith, this ought to be edifying and encouraging you to more seeking of truth and more desire to live holy and more desire to persevere. Again, not that you're holding yourself. It's not that you're keeping yourself holding on to him, but this is what ought to be driving us. 
Now, Jude is indicating that believers must keep themselves in the love of God. Yet in that same passage in verse 24, he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Who is it that's keeping us from falling? It is God himself. What's our responsibility? To be persevering in this most holy faith. Uh, We are to be doing all we can. There's not a contradiction there. And again, one of those false accusations is that that's a contradictory statement. Uh, Believers are told in scriptures to work out their own salvation. Now, again, when Paul wrote that in the book of Philippians, he was not talking about works-based salvation because in that same passage in Philippians 2, 12, and 13, Paul is writing these words and he says, it is God's pleasure both to will and to do according to his good pleasure, but yet in the same concept or context, he says, work out your own salvation. Again, he's not talking about earning it. He's not talking about working to gain But he is talking about that this will be the result of a genuine faith. Uh, God's purposes, uh, God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility. Okay, that's again, that's that mystery of God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility. God is the author of salvation, but that does not negate your responsibility to repent and believe. Those are not contradictory statements. Mysterious? Yes. Contradictory? No. There's a big difference between something that's mysterious and something that contradicts. When we don't understand something, it really is mysterious, but when we don't understand it, we say that's a contradiction. That's not a contradiction. It's a mystery. I don't fully understand everything about God's sovereignty. I don't fully understand even the entire concept of that, but yet I'm told to repent and believe. And yet, I know that salvation is of the Lord. So these warnings are the means that God uses to accomplish his purposes. Folks, we have to keep in mind everything God is doing is to carry out his purposes and to carry out his plan. Um, God is not man-centered. God is not man-centered. He didn't do all these things for you because of your intrinsic value. He didn't die, send his son to die on the cross because you were of high value. That's, it, it's a great, great mistake, and it's what has led to this man-centered theology. If I consider that the reason that Christ died is because I was too valuable, I have completely inflated my own ego, and I'm filled with pride now. The God of the universe saw me as so valuable. No, he saw us as valuable to the regard that it would bring glory to himself. And again, if we want to just really get deep in the theological weeds here, we could say, couldn't God have done 101 different other ways to manifest his glory than saving wicked sinners? Maybe, but that's only one of the many ways that he did. He manifested his glory by raising up Pharaoh only to bring him down. Man responds by saying, that wasn't fair. Pharaoh should have had a chance. Who are you to argue against God? Who are you to, as the clay, to argue with the potter? See, it's our human reasoning and our own wisdom that gets us in trouble. Instead of just trusting God and what God's word says, even when I don't fully comprehend all the mysteries. Remember, mystery does not equal contradiction. There are things that are mysteries. 
So it should be noted that there is also verses in Scripture that refer to professing believers who somehow uses the terminology uh, falling away. And that particular statement, there's one that Peter makes in 2 Peter 2, verses 17, and he gives a uh, rather disgusting picture of this and how to describe it. A person uh, who would fall away, 2 Peter 2, verse 17, and he's again talking about, he's, he's, he's making reference to Balaam. Uh, and he says it back in verse at the end of verse 15, Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but as rebuked for his iniq- but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now notice the context. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of, mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness." Then after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Uh, Peter is giving a very strong uh, defense of this and saying, if a person could truly fall away, it, it, would be, it would be better if they had never been in the way of righteousness to begin with. That's how sickening this would be. That's how awful this would be. But the promises that we have of this perseverance, again, notice that the very last paragraph, the very last sentence of paragraph one, it says, um, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same. And they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession they being engraved upon the palm of his hands and their names having been, been written in the book of life from all of eternity. Remember, we started this paragraph last week saying that one reason that this is rejected, uh, the perseverance of the saints, is simply because we don't understand it properly. Uh, it is not a license to do whatever we want, but rather it is a call to live differently. So a couple just quick applications here. Uh, The eternal security of the believer is taught throughout the scriptures. Paul is confident that the God who began a good work in believers will see it to completion. That is referenced in Philippians 1.6. Peter also is equally confident that believers will be shielded by God's power so that they actually obtain their inheritance. So we are not living and hoping we hold on by our fingernails long enough to obtain the inheritance. Rather, we already have the certainty of that receiving of that inheritance that's based upon the confidence that Paul writes about, about that the good work will be completed. God is seeing to it, to our perseverance. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be without attack. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be without struggles doesn't mean it's not going to be without trials, but that we do have the promise 
of perseverance unto the end that is based upon the mighty power of God. Another illustration I gave you, uh, this is, I would recommend this as a resource if you're interested in studying um, the Baptist Confession of Faith on, on your own. I used bits and parts of, of Sam Waldron's book, and that's the title of it if you want to get that. It's a modern exposition of the 689 Baptist Confession of Faith. He doesn't go in, real, it doesn't go in as deep a detail um, on some of the subjects or some of the paragraphs, but it is very, very good. Uh, perseverance is necessary because the Christian life is a fight, a war against many enemies who would keep us from being saved in the end. It is running, fighting, and guarding. We must not be surprised or doubt that we are saved when our Christian life seems filled with obstacles, setbacks, and sins. The Christian life and ultimate salvation involve genuine perseverance. And I like the way he puts that. Uh, it's, I, obstacles, setbacks, and sin. Y your life is, is filled, will be filled with these speed bumps, if you will. Uh, it, it, it is not this simple uh, cruise control, and I'm just going to cruise on the easy road. And I think the earlier that we begin to understand this, the more we know that uh, this is a fight that we're in. So the facts about perseverance, God is always the same. Uh, that's a great promise to be reminded of. God is always the same. The immutability of God, he changes not. We change daily. We change minute by minute. It's alarming to me when I consider my own life, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. It's not even close. That's good and bad. Right? There are things about us that life has done to us that maybe we're, we don't like so much. We change moment by moment. We change, our emotions change us. Circumstances change us. Our reactions change us. God doesn't change. He does not react to anything that we do. God is not reactionary. And that's really amazing because we are all based upon reactions. Your reactions are often based upon how you feel physically. If you feel physically bad, your reactions are often unreasonable. I know mine are. Even something as simple as being tired affects my reason, makes things inflated look worse than they are, does it not? <laughs> it's an amazing thing. You're tired one day, you get a good night's sleep, and you wake up the next day, and that same thing that was a big issue the day before, that was like setting off a bomb, isn't as big of a deal the next day. And you wish you would not have detonated it yesterday, right? Because you responded. God doesn't respond. He doesn't wake up one day and say, I'm tired. These people are wearying me. I'm going to respond and change. He's immutable. His people are kept by his mighty power. You better believe that that's where our hope is. We're kept by his power, not our own power. If we could lose our salvation, we would. It's as simple as you can put it. I didn't, that quote didn't originate with me. I've heard it so many times. But if we could lose it, we would. You all would lose it. I would lose it. But we can't. We're kept by the power of God. Believers cannot send away their salvation. Now, again, this doesn't mean, well, I'm going I'm to test this. 
Let's see how many times and how often I can sin and see if I lose my salvation. That's not what the intent is. But that's a promise that I cannot sin away what I already have. I can't give up my salvation. Believers cannot fall from grace. You're not going to truly be in grace and truly in Christ and fall away from that. Obstacles, setbacks, sin, yes. Trial of your faith, yes. Attacks from the wicked and the fiery darts, are you going to need the shield of faith? Yes. Can you fall away entirely from grace? No. And the last two sentences of that paragraph one tell us our names are engraved on his hands and our names have been written in the book of life. I'm not trying to be irreverent, but there is no eraser to the book of life. There's no eraser. There's nothing that says they were there and now it's not. He knew and foreordained and predestined, don't be afraid of those words, the names that would appear in that book. It was not based upon a foreknowledge of knowing what you would do and what you would choose. You were put into that book. That's what makes perseverance even more glorious as we think about it. So two main questions. The first question has to do with uh, arguments for a certain perseverance of the saints. So what are some of those things? Maybe there's more than four, but what are, what are some arguments that we can make or some statements we can make about the certain perseverance of the saints? Might be a verse, might be a statement from the confession, but what are four maybe arguments that we could make that say this makes perseverance certain? God's the one who began the work. God's the one who began the work, which means he will, he's going to finish the work, right? So he started the work, and he's going to finish what he started. Any part of it in particular, or the whole thing? Right, so he prayed, he prayed that we would be one with him. Okay, very good. I'd say the whole, all John 17. <laughs> That's why I ask if you wanted one particular part, because all John 17 really demonstrates that really clearly. Maybe another? We have the idea and the principles of Scripture teaches us that uh, those that are His are a purchased possession, right? We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so we know that scripturally, uh, Christ's blood was never shed in vain, right? So if we are, if we are a purchased possession, uh, we will always be His. Um, we also understand that their reality of, we remember we've learned even a little bit last week about uh, that we are fastened to the rock of our salvation. Uh, back to John 10, that no one can separate us, that he knows his, his sheep know his voice. Uh, he, all that the Father has given, uh, he will no wise cast out. So we have, those, we have those promises that there is this certainty of it. So the second one, given the doctrine, um, this is an easy question. Uh, can believers struggle with unbelief? Maybe this isn't as easy as I, I'm thinking. Can we struggle with unbelief? No, we can struggle with our faith. We can struggle with assurance. Can we struggle with unbelief?
So we know, we know we're going to fight against the world, right? We're going to fight against the, 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 I think we mentioned this last week, the storms and the floods that beat against us. The, uh, and as Waldron made mention of about the, um, the obstacles, the setbacks, uh, we're going to battle our own flesh. Paul writes a lot about the battle against our own flesh, which, folks, I'm not sure that we take that battle seriously enough. I, I'm not sure even John Owen's work on the mortifying of the flesh um, he wrote an entire book scripturally based upon how we are to be killing the flesh. We're not to allow the flesh one ounce. Uh, we're not to allow it to, to, to gain control over us in one sense. All of these things are fighting against what we are standing firm in. Um, not only our own flesh, the temptations of the devil and his demons, it is real. Um, Ephesians 6 is not uh, something that's... that's uh, some kind of a fairy tale. We are battling against principalities and powers in high places. Um, I think there are times when we, we might have struggles uh, with our belief. Um, that's the position that I think scripturally, I, I, we, we may struggle with it, but we're never brought to the place where we say, I deny and I reject Christ. I think, I think, we, I think we do. I think we struggle with that. But I also know that it's the perseverance that helps us and helps to remind us that we are kept. And as was mentioned, John 17 uh, tells us. I mean, it gives us uh, that strong promise of perseverance. All right, anything else? Go ahead, Dan. Examples that come to my mind are, um, I'm missing the reference, I'm going to botch the quote, so I'll own it. But um, when, when Jesus tells Peter that Satan's asked to sit Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I pray for you, and when you, when you're restored, yep. you strengthen your brothers. Yeah. Excellent. Peter, Peter went about as far to the edge as you could possibly go. I'd say. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. Uh, he, I, when he was restored, he strengthened his brothers. Yes, for sure. The other example that comes to mind is is a John Mark that Paul um, Paul separates from Barnabas over. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He, uh, he deserved <laughs> He was them. unprofitable to me. <laughs> he, he, he deserved them. He, yeah. Pressure came up. And, yeah. Uh, he was like, no, I'm out. See you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the second Timothy, Paul says, bring him. Bring him to, bring him to me. Yep. Yeah. That's an ex- excellent example. Scott, did you have something? Um, I, Mm-hmm. And most of it was just a deviation from the word. Yeah. Adam. They took from the tree. Abraham. Yeah. Didn't believe that God yeah. would give him a son. David. Yeah. Peter. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's okay. But no, but example after example. Yep. That's good, Kristen. I mean, yeah, I think about that. There's probably a sense in which just about, yeah, just about every, any sin we struggle with is a result of unbelief in some way. In some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't believe that God is true in whatever facet yeah. that applies to that area of sin. 
Yeah. But will we struggle? Yes. But will we succumb to that unbelief ultimately? Yeah. Right, right. Okay, anything else? Okay, great, great, Dan. Yeah, I, it was kind of, this was an original with me, but it kind of resonated with me when I heard it said, um, eternal security and the perseverance of the saints, it, it's, it, it's two perspectives on the same issue. And yeah. It, from our perspective, it's perseverance of the saints, and it's going to be a fight mm-hmm. clawing to the end. But from yep. God's perspective, it's eternal security, and there's absolutely nothing that's going to separate us from the love of Christ. That's right. Which is in Christ Jesus. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed to our time of fellowship. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. And Lord, we do thank you for this great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Lord, we're thankful that you've not left it to us to hold on to you, because we know that all of us, at some point in our life, will let go. Lord, we are grateful for the promises of your word. I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would continue uh, in the ways that you've commanded us. And we look forward, Father, to uh, all that you allow us to do, the privileges that we are allowed to uh, be able to speak uh, the name of Christ and to preach and proclaim the gospel. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you.